let's, let's jump into it. I've got a few thoughts I want to share. And then I've, I've, as I've been threatening forever to answer questions or whatever, um, promising, um, I want to try to do some of that today. So if you, you can want to be thinking about a question about the new covenant or a verse that you have um, on your mind or something that we can look at, that'd be great. Um, but I do want to show, share a few thoughts and we'll see where that goes. And then we'll open the floor for any questions about the new covenant or grace or that kind of thing. Let's pray together, saints. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness toward us. Thank you that you have brought us into a place, a place that you prepared, a place that protects us and hides us from the face of the serpent. Thank you for this place, Lord, where we're nourished and cherished. This place is inside of Christ. Lord, thank you that we are in you and our life is now hidden with Christ inside of God. Thank you, Lord, for the power of the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to these things, the things that are freely given to us in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that we might know your thoughts, that we might know the deep things of God through the Spirit. And now, Lord, we just, we come looking to you to teach us to receive, to hear, experience the great love of God. Thank you, Lord, for you are always with us. You are God with us, God for us, God in us. Thank you, Lord, for this awesome covenant. Thank you, Lord, for this liberty, for this freedom, for this peace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. 4-9, awesome, thanks. I just want to share a thought, um, and then we'll take some questions. Um, you know, last Sunday we talked a little bit about how, how important it is to to um, ponder and to meditate on the things of God. And um, I love Coop sent me an email just how much that means to him contemplating the things of God and how important that is. Um, Coop was sharing with me about how this past year, how he has seen more and more of the heart of God and the ways of God than ever before because of just taking in and thinking and pondering on these things that God is showing us. It's so, so important because um, the enemy does want to just keep us running and running and running. Like we, we shared last Sunday in Daniel, it said that the, the spirit of Antichrist, the, the, the spirit of this world seeks to wear out the saints, wear out the saints. And uh, is not, they're not, he's not able to do so, but he seeks to do that um, because God will come and encourage us when we are weary. And you see that in the life of Jesus too. Jesus would would take the disciples away from the crowds. And, they, and the scripture says they were, they were going here and there and they were just worn out and he would take them away and send the crowds away and take his disciples into quiet places. So it's just really, really important that we let the spirit of God um, minister to us. And, and one thing I shared last Sunday that's so important um, is that 
one of the first things I try to do and what the scripture teaches us to do is when, when we go to pray, and I want to just share a few thoughts about what prayer under grace, prayer under grace, what's, what prayer under grace is all about. And, um, and one of the first things that, that I try to do that God has taught me to do is to not just in prayer, hopefully all the time, but especially in prayer, when, you, when we go and to engage God and, and go to, to be with Him in a manifest way or, or, in, a, or in a focused way, allow, allow God to first and foremost love you. In other words, don't go to God seeking to, um, thinking I've got to do something for God or I've got to, I've got to somehow reach God. I've got to somehow, we've got these teachings on prayer that have all these lists. Okay, you start with prayer. You may start with thanksgiving and you start with this and you start with that and then you get to supplication, you know, all these things. No, it's much more simpler than that. And the very first thing you do when you go to Papa is you let Papa hold you. Let him hold you. Let him hold us. Let him love us. Let Abba just hold us and love us. Because it begins there. It all begins there. And I think that's what we saw, we see in the life of Jesus. He would, he would go just to be with the Father and love, be loved by the Father. And he would say things like that the Father, the Father uh, loves the Son. I love that. He goes, the Father loves the Son and shows him all things. Um, there was this awareness of Christ, of the, of the love of God that was toward him 24 seven. Um, that's so important. That word awareness is so powerful in the spiritual life. I read once where someone said, as in real estate, the three most important things in real estate is location, location, location. This writer said in the same way, in the spiritual life, in our spiritual life, the most important, the three most important things is awareness, awareness, awareness. And I think there's a, lot, there's a lot of truth to that because you can hear and get revelation, but if that revelation doesn't become a awareness, see, we can, and that's, where, that's what meditation and contemplation does. When we contemplate the things of God that he's revealing to us, there's, there's a growing awareness that we say he is with me. And we don't say it anymore like a theological truth. We say it as he's with me. He's with me. See, it's an awareness that he's with me. So it's a growing awareness. Awareness is so key to our spiritual life. Are we aware that we are righteous in, in him? Are we aware of that? Or is it just a, a doctrine, see? Are we aware that we are in union with him? Aware, see? So it's really, it's really powerful. Well, the thought that I had to share is um, also about thinking about prayer under grace. When we go, um, think about this thing. This is so cool. Chapter four, is it 19, Ken? Yeah, yeah, okay, great. Galatians chapter four. This is a thought that came to me this week that was so cool that um, I just want to share with you um, to think and ponder about. In Galatians chapter four, verse nine, Paul says this. Galatians chapter four, verse nine. He says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. 
And then he goes on, how is it that you turn back to the weak and worthless things of, you know, of ritual and that kind of thing? But the, the thing that hit me was this phrase, now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. See, which is greater, which is greater to know God or that God knows you? This is the thought that I want to sow in your heart this morning. God knows you. It's, it's a, it'll, it'll draw us into prayer when we realize he knows my name. It's powerful. Jesus said, I know my sheep and I call them by name. Just to ponder on that is awesome. Yes, we've come to know God. That's, just this, that's what the promise of the new covenant. They will no longer say, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord to each other. For they all shall know me from the least to the greatest, the scripture says, because I'll be merciful to all their iniquities and I'll remove their sin from them as far as the east is from the west. And I'll, and I'll uh, you know, bring them in without fear of judgment to a throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. That's how we can know God is because he has totally removed every barrier between us and him. And it's a spiritual knowing where he says, in, where the writer in the Hebrew says, they'll no longer have to have other men say, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord. That's a reference to the old covenant way of teaching. The old covenant way of teaching was as your children rise up, read the law to them, read the commandments, read the scriptures to them as they go to bed at night. In other words, it's, it was, there were a few of that were um, uh, that the spirit rested upon the priests, the kings, the prophets, and they would speak this word to the to the people, the natural people. But the scripture said that the time would come where they would no longer have to say, "Know the Lord, know the Lord" to the people, but they all shall know me from the least to the greatest. See, not just the greatest in reference to the prophets and the priests and the kings, but the least they all, for they shall all be taught of the Lord. That one of the promises of the new covenant is that the Lord Himself will teach us right here. As John says, you need no man teach you, but the anointing that abides within you shall lead you into all truth and you shall abide in him. So one of the major promises of the new covenant is that the Lord himself will teach us within by the spirit. It's awesome. And one of the things that he really speaks to us, I think, in this new covenant is this revelation that he knows us. Is that the same no that is used in, in Genesis? Yeah, or like when uh, Adam and Eve. Shall yes. Adam. It's the same no. That's exactly right. And Adam knew his wife, the same, same word of intimacy and, and union. That's exactly right. And it's not to imply that, well, before we knew God, that he didn't know us or know of us, but it probably was implying this new intimate relationship. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, for instance, there, there's a, the verse that says um, where Jesus talks about at the end of time, and there, um, there are those that um, you know claim to know him, and he said, "I never knew you," um, and that's the the Pharisees, the religious, the those who, who uh, Jesus said they think they're serving God by actually killing me, and they're actually, and they think they're serving God by by killing you. They'll seek to kill you, thinking they're serving God, but they know not me nor my Father. See, so. There's a, so even though he was aware, obviously, of the people there, he's talking to them, you know, it's not, it's not that kind of knowing, but he said, I never knew you. It's not like they showed up on the scene, like, where'd you come from? I didn't, you, you know, exactly. It's like, I never, I never knew you in this intimate relationship. 
That's exactly right. So what we're talking about is this, that God knows us, that he knows our name. And, um, and, the, and the way we know, yes. Yes, um, um, to take a step further, and, and if you read chapter uh, 34, verse 5, and somebody could read it for James chapter 4? Yes, James chapter 4, verse 5. We, God knows us, and, but there is, there is something more than, than, than not only knowing us, He is jealous of us. He desires mm, us that's to good. go to which verse in chapter 4? James chapter 4, verse 5. Do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose, that he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us? Yes. Yes, yes. It's not like we're going to come to him and tug him on the, on the robe and say, can you please hear me out? No, he is waiting all day, 24 yes, hours. Yes, 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 yes. Waiting for you to come to him. He, he doesn't even, he knows you, but he loves you so much. He came and wait until you come to him. Awesome. That's so awesome. It is, it's a step further to that. That's awesome, brother. That's awesome. It's so true. <laughs> Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. See, he's anxious. waiting, anxious. You know, if any man open the door, I'll come in and break bread with that one and you know that's that's so cool that's that's the heart of God that's the heart of God and and just a few more thoughts on this and then let's open it up for questions but um, remember remember this saints that the one of the major uh, renewals of the mind that's going on inside of the believer one of the major things that we're being renewed to in our minds as a new creation is the ways of God the ways of God. You know, um, the scripture says that Israel saw his acts, but Moses knew his ways, his ways. And the scripture says that the ways of the Lord are, are as different from the ways of men as the heavens are above the earth. His ways are different, so different from men's ways that it's as, if you had to compare how different the prophet said, it's as different as the heavens are above the earth. That's how different it is. It's, it's not like a little close to what man would do. No, it's like out of this world different. What makes the ways of the Lord different, so different? What is the essence of, of, this, of this different way? The essence of it, I believe, as you see all through Scripture, is... It's, it's even found in this, the verse we just read, where uh, 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 not the one in James, but, um, but uh, it's in there too, but you can see it in that Galatian verse where it says, have, not that we, uh, uh, now that you've come to know God, rather that God has come to know you. What is it? The way, one of the ways of God that we're being renewed to is that He is the initiator. Everything comes from Him. Not that we first loved God, but that He first loved us. See, man begins with man, and man is always trying to get to God and do for God and so forth. One of the big things we have to have our mind renewed to in this new covenant is that, no, it's not you doing for God. That's why we have a misunderstanding, even among Christians, when the question is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And, you know, when we say, well, of course, we know what the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. 
But the problem with that answer is that the scripture says that the Pharisees asked Jesus that question, and he, they asked it this way. They said, what is the greatest commandment under the law? That is the greatest commandment under the law. And that's why the Pharisees said, you have said well. That is the greatest commandment under the law. Well, then what is the greatest commandment under grace? Because if that's the greatest commandment under law, what is the greatest commandment under grace? The greatest commandment under grace is not to love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. If we could keep that commandment, Jesus didn't have to come. For that is all the law and the prophets. That's the fulfillment of all things. So what is the greatest commandment under grace? It is this, the greatest commandment. And again, it's the, the ways of God. It, it, everything begins with God. The greatest commandment is to believe that God loves you with all his heart, all his mind, all his strength. You see that? See, not that we first loved him, but he first loved us. The greatest commandment is to believe. What do we actually say when we say we believe? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes should not perish but have life. I love what Max Licato says in his book about John 3.16. The book is called John 3.16 or, or just 3.16. But he says in the back of the book, he says, he loved, he gave, we believed, we live. Yes. I love that. But it begins with the Lord. He loves, he gave, we believe, we live. It's awesome. This this way of God that everything begins with him. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Doesn't mean that he believes for us. We still have to respond and believe. But he is the one who initiates. He's the one who's seeking jealously. He's the one who's coming to us, see? He's the one who has done it and he calls us not to try to love him. He calls us to receive the love that he has for us. Because in that, we find the love of the Spirit, the Spirit of God shedding abroad in our hearts, the love of God, the Scripture says. We find ourselves loving God with the very love he gives us. So we love back in this place of rest and union with him. Isn't that cool? Wow. So next time you hear that, someone says, what's the greatest commandment? The next thing you should say is, well, I'll be glad to answer that question, but which, which covenant are you talking about? The greatest commandment under law or the greatest commandment under grace? Because that's exactly what they asked Jesus. What is the greatest commandment under the law? And he answered the correct way. That was. But we couldn't keep the greatest commandment. But we can keep the greatest commandment under grace. To believe that he loves me. Not that we first loved him. But he first loved us. So, love you, buddy. So anyway, so... Um, so I just want to leave the, the, the thought before we take questions is just remember that, that the Lord knows your name. Awesome. That will draw us into prayer. Prayer under grace is a whole different way of thinking. 
We used to have these thoughts about praying through to get to God. We have these old Pentecostal sayings that say, uh, I have brass ceilings above me. I'm trying to pray through to God. That's all wrong thinking. You are seated with him in heavenly places. There are no brass ceilings. The word brass speaks of judgment in the old covenant. There is no judgment that's separating you from him. Perfect love has cast out all fear. Where fear remains, and fear speaks of punishment, John says. As Jesus is, so are we. So there's like this open heaven now in him because he took our judgment on the cross. When he went to the cross, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the prince of this world cast out, the one who accuses us. The one who would paint this mirage of a brass ceiling between you and God. Mirage. Because he was judged, not you. Isn't that awesome? There's just so many things. There's, there's, I think I said this on a tape a while back. There, we have so much unlearning to do. As much unlearning as we do learning. We have a mixture in our minds of what a co- the covenant of law spoke of and what the covenant of grace speaks of. For the law came through Moses, but grace and the real has come through Jesus. See? The scripture says Jeremiah was sent by God to pluck up, to pull up, to destroy, and then to plant and to nourish and nurture. So it's a, two th- it's a twofold ministry of removing the wrong thinking and giving the right, putting the right thinking. Jesus said it this way. I love what Clark said last Sunday was so good. What Clark was quoting Jesus, Jesus when Jesus said, you've heard it said this way or that way. But I say to you this, that's the posture we have as believers. We, we will speak like that a lot. We will say, we've heard, you've heard that you have a brass ceiling when you go to God sometimes and you have to pray through. But I say to you that he has taken your judgment and that you sit with him in heavenly places in union with him. Your life is hidden with Christ in God and you can go boldly to a throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need now. You know what's also cool about that verse? I was thinking about that the other day. You don't need, um, I mean, you, don't, you, you and I don't have any need once we leave these bodies and enter into heaven without limitation, right? There's to be no need at all. So that verse is clearly telling you and I that on earth, on earth, God wants us to come boldly to the throne of grace. That's clearly a promise that you, you, by the Spirit, have access into the Holy of Holies to find help and mercy in time of need, which you will not have on, in heaven. So it's, you know, it's just, just another thing to ponder that this, this is God's promise, that in Christ there's an open heaven, there are no brass ceilings, there are no barriers. Come boldly now while you walk the earth. Isn't that good? Oh, it's just so good. There's so much... Um, unlearning that we need to do and allow the Spirit of God to pluck up out of our minds. That verse that says that um, our weapons are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down strongholds, what Clark quoted last Sunday. That verse, if you read read it in the uh, read the the New American Standard, which again is, is my favorite translation because it is a true translation of the text. If you read that in the New American Standard, it's there, there'll be like um, the word you in italics. Anytime the New American Standard puts a word in italics, it means it's not in the original text. 
And so the writers sometimes think they're helping you out by putting words in italics to make it sound good. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Well, this time it doesn't because when you take out the word you, it's awesome. When you take out the you out of that verse, it's not saying that you pull down thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. It doesn't say you cast down imaginations. That word you is not in the Greek. What the, what the verse is saying there is that the gospel is so powerful that if you will take in the gospel like a virus in a computer, it will work in you like leaven, like the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who takes three measures of leaven and puts it in the dough and lets it rest until the whole thing is leavened. You take in this way of thinking of how God is the initiator, how God has done all things, how it's, it's a finished work. It works in you and it, it actually, by just meditating and pondering on the reality of Christ, without taking thought, a man plants a seed in the ground and he goes to bed and rises day and night and sees the, the, the um, plant come forth and he knows not how it does for the earth brings forth fruit of herself. Jesus said, such is the kingdom of heaven. See, this dynamic, when we receive this dynamic of Christ, our life, this finished work, rest, abide there. There is a heavenly work that goes within you for it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And there's a corresponding um, uh, powerful work that happens where the imagination that has God figured wrong is pulled down and in the way we think everything that exalts itself against the true knowledge of God is pulled down the brass ceiling concept or it's up the greatest commandment is for me to love God that's the greatest thing I can do is love God no brass ceilings no see what I'm saying isn't that cool yeah. Ooh. It's a rest. It's so powerful that when you when you take it, take the truth in and and let it just let it just grow in us, meditate and contemplate. These things begin to happen. I had a, a sister tell me years ago that she said it was amazing. She said it was like it took about six months when she had these the wrong thoughts about who God was and just never could get settled in the fact that God loved her. And, you know, and so she would just continue to feed on what she was hearing about Christ and his work, his finished work. And it took about six months. And she said, it was like all of a sudden, it just, like it just, it just collapsed in me. It was like the enemy was trying to prop it up almost yeah. to keep her in bondage. So patient, be patient with yourself. Faith with patience inherits the promises. Patient, be patient with yourself. Continue to eat and drink of him and watch what God will do. And then no flesh can glory in his presence when it happens. You can't say it's through my discipline and through my diligence and through my hard work and through my study and through this. And if you were like me, then you could do it too. No, it's like, no, in my weakness, in my weakness, his strength is made manifest as I eat of him and simply eat of him and drink of him. And, and take it in and, and receive the love. Awesome. And watch what God will do. And we'll see glorious things happening. And we'll say, wow, God, this is so cool. I used to have this struggle. Now I don't have that struggle anymore. What's happening? It's the power of the gospel, the good news. See, it's not us putting scriptures on refrigerators so we can cast down every thought. And every time we have a bad thought, we're, we're in this working, working, working. No, I can't think that thought. No, no, I can't. I got to cast down that thought. No, I can't think. No, that's too tiresome. 
wearisome. And it's not Christ. It's not the way of Christ. I mean, the first, the first three or four hundred years, they had no Bible to read. The first three or four hundred years, there was no Bible. There was no Scripture. I mean, we think that, that uh, the key is, um, the, the Scripture is obviously very, very important. That's why you'll hear me quoted like almost every sentence because I love it. I love the Scripture and, and feed on the Scripture because in the Old Testament, it's a revelation of Christ that's hidden in there. In the New Testament, it's just Christ. Just, just full blast, you know, just like there it is, you know, with, with the apostles opening up the revelation of Christ. So it's not that we don't read the scripture. What I'm saying, though, is that the early church, they had something, they, they were powerful and they multiplied because of the revelation of Christ that was within them. And that power, they didn't have scriptures to put on the refrigerator. They had the revelation of Christ that pulled down wrong thinking in the simplicity of Christ. Isn't that cool? Yes. Okay, anybody have a question? Just, just, just remember, remember this thought as you leave today that the Lord knows your name. That will usher you into more prayer, more meditation, more contemplation because it's a, he invites us. He wants us to come to him. Okay, Kevin. I hope so. Yes. I think it, you know, I think it is. Thanks for reminding me. I, I think this is the year. I really feel like 2010 is the year to finish that book and get it out there. Good. I really do. I feel like 2010 is this, this, this time. And I'm glad I didn't, I'm like Clark. I'm glad I didn't write the book until now because I really, I see things better than I did even five years ago. So it, there's all, always a timing, I think. And, um, and I'm looking forward to having a book where I can say, I, I agree with everything in this book. <laughs> There's always this caveat where like, it's a great book. I would have said a few things differently, but it's a great, you know, but hopefully um, I appreciate your prayers about that too, because I really want to get, I just cannot think of anything more powerful than putting it in writing and, you know, someone across on the other side of the world could be sitting on a beach reading it or in an airport, you know, how, how things could, it could help so many people, I think. Yeah, that would be awesome. That'd be awesome. I mean, I, th I think uh, there's, there are publishing companies that will do that in all different languages. I think that would be awesome, you know, to get it, get it out, the simplicity of Christ, the finished work. And Where in the Bible that says anything about God helps those who help themselves? <laughs> that's a great, that's, that, that's kind of what we're talking about here. See, that's, that's one of the things that the short answer to your question is no. That's Benjamin Franklin said that, I think. I think. I think Benjamin Franklin said that. God helps those who help themselves. It's actually God helps those who cannot help themselves is the scripture. Scott? Well, that, I think that's, that's a, a, a good thing to know, basically, is God will not give you more than you can handle. That's what that's all talking about. It's, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not that he doesn't want to give you the whole load, but the whole load can destroy you if you can't handle it. So all that the Lord is talking about there is be faithful in the little things, and he will give you 
more to take care of because you can imagine um, a teenager inheriting a multi-million dollar corporation and trying to run it. He'd probably run it in the ground and destroy it because he didn't know first how to run one of the branches. That's what he's talking about there. Um, the Lord is a great teacher and, and a wise master builder like Paul was referred to as. So he's not going to just give you things that would destroy you and not be able to. But as we're faithful in little things, in the little things we learn so much. Um, you know, as they followed Jesus and they saw how he ministered to people, they were learning things that they would later take to the nations. Um, but they couldn't handle the nations immediately. Like uh, Jesus said this, he said, I have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear it now. See, he, he, you could not bear what, and, and they, they could not comprehend that through his death they would die. The spirit had not yet been given. Jesus was not yet glorified. So they could not comprehend these heavenly realities of spiritual circumcision, of a new creation. He could have said them and they'd have gone right over their head like, who can know, the, who can hear these things? What's he talking about? I mean, they actually said that at times when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they would go like, who can hear these things? And it's like, you know, and then they left and followed him no more because it was, they couldn't bear, they couldn't understand it for his words were spirit and their words were life, he said. He wasn't talking about literally eating his flesh and blood. They were spirit and they were life, but they couldn't hear it because they were, there's too much. Even his own disciples didn't understand it, but they, they had the, the right conclusion that where else can we go to, have, to receive the words of life, Lord? Because he asked them, will you also go away? And they go, well, we're thinking about it because we don't know what this means either. <laughs> but we know you have the words of life, so we're gonna hang in here until we understand what you're talking about. So anyway, I think that's all that's saying there, Scott, is that it's just the Lord will give us more as we're faithful in the little things that he gives us because otherwise we just, it'll destroy us if he dumps a lot of stuff on us that we can't handle. But is he, ta is he talking about financial gain? No, I don't, think, I don't think so. I think he's, um, that's, could be, that could be part of it, but I don't, I don't think that's uh, the heart of that verse there. I, I think some people maybe twist that to speak of, <clears throat> speak of financial Prosperous. prosperity. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. God does want us to prosper and he wa does want us to be blessed. Um, but that's just one, one facet of the whole concept of being faithful in little things and being trusted with bigger things. I think primarily he's talking about spiritual truth, being faithful with spiritual truth and with people, being faithful to, to serve people and love people and not to seek your own concern or your own interest, but seek the interest of others and help others, have a heart for others, then he can give you more people to help and more people to help. And, and, and it, 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 the same principle works with finance, finances too. But if you look at every successful person financially, almost every person, they found a need and they met the need. And God blessed because they, they, were, they were fulfilling a need, they were uh, serving a need um, and helping people. And so whether it's, whether it's a business or hospitals or you know, whatever the, whatever the profession, they, 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 they are helping people. So it, even, it carries over even in finances, but it's not really just talking about how to get rich. Yes, Rita. Of judgment. Finish reading that. The vow of the adversaries, anyone who has rejected Moses, Lord, dies without mercy. 
mercy on the testimony of two of the witness, how much more worse punishment do you suppose he will do? He will be the worthy. Who has done despite to the spirit of grace? Right. And what else? Blood of the Son of God. Right. Which he was sanctified. Right. See, when you read that whole context there, you, when you read the whole context, you see what the willful sin is. That's the key. Exactly. Exactly. The whole thing is about the Hebrews willfully sinning because they have the truth after having knowledge of the truth of Christ. See, the one sacrifice for all sin for all time, that's the truth. The Hebrews willfully sin after having the knowledge of this truth if they go back to Moses and back to the old covenant of covering of sins and sacrifices of animals. And it, it describes that person. He has done despite to the spirit of grace. He's trampled underfoot the blood of the Son of God by using the blood of bulls and goats. He prefers, he's, he's accepting the, he's going to the blood of bulls and goats and not the blood of the Son of God. I mean, it's a description of, of someone who has the truth of Christ and rejects that truth and goes back or stays with Moses. And it's written to the Hebrews. That's, that's exactly what that verse means. Well, well, I believe I believe that the scripture teaches even in Hebrews that a believer is not going to do that. I believe that God is going to so encourage that person that once he's been once he's really been once he's really received the revelation of Christ, um, he has a new heart. He has the uh, the union of the of the Spirit of God, so forth. You're not going to see that person doing that. The writer to the Hebrews is is trying to. Um, address the issue that there, these are a lot of Hebrews who are hearing this gospel and they are rejecting it and, and staying with Moses. And that's why he, why he comes so strong against that. Okay. Yep. And, willf, and we've, had, we've had preachers preach that willful sin thing. You know, um, if you commit a sin willfully, there's no more sacrifice for sin. Um, no. The reason why there's no more sacrifice or no other sacrifice for sin is because the willful sin there is the rejection of the one sacrifice. I mean, if you think about it, what sin is not willful? Every fleshly thing we do is willful. I mean, if you, if you accidentally sin, then... It's, so that verse has kept more people in bondage because it's kept people thinking, oh gosh, I, I just committed a willful sin. No, that's, he's not talking about that at all. There's only one sin that there's no forgiveness for. One sin, and this verse is talking about it. There's only one sin, only one. There's only one sin, one sin that Jesus said will receive no forgiveness in this life or in the world to come. And that is this, the rejection of the one who took away all the sins. Isn't that cool? That's, all, that's why the scripture says the Holy Spirit will come and convict the world of sin because, okay, what are they doing wrong? Because they believe not on Jesus. So that's the only sin, the only sin that cannot be forgiven is a rejection of the one who forgave all sins. It's very logical. And it's, it's just really cool. Yes. 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 Yeah. The Old Testament, they had all these, this picture was there. That's exactly right. Awesome. Ooh, got to go.
<laughs> Love you guys. Love you. See you next Sunday, Lord willing. <laughs>